this week on Breaking Bowling. We are going to get a perspective from a former teacher and principal on how schools handle bullying. So we're going to hit that music and get started. This week, like always, we have a very special guest. We have Dr. Kimberly Boynton. She's a former teacher, elementary teacher, former principal, and currently a therapist and also has a talk show coming out next year. Dr. Kimberly, thank you for being on our show. Well, thank you, Tim, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Kim, let's get started and let's talk about your own personal experience with your child and how the school handled that with bullying. Yeah, absolutely. So it was kind of funny because at that time I was, I had just started teaching. So I I was going to school full time as well. And so I dropped my son off at school. He was in, I think he was in sixth grade. No, he was in fifth grade at the time. So I dropped him off at school like I do every morning and I went to, you know, went to work. And so I get this phone call while I'm at work and they're, you know, excuse, you know, we just wanted to make sure that we excuse your son's absence today. And I thought to myself, I was like, what do you mean he's absent? Like, I just dropped him off at school, you know, an hour ago. And they said, no, he's not in his class. So, you know, obviously back then I'm going to date myself, but we didn't have any cell phones. So, you know, we had the house phone. So I'm calling the house, no answer. And so I called the school back and I said, hey, I just want to verify, you know, that my son is there. And they said, no, he's not here. How long ago when you dropped him off and that phone call took place? It was, I had literally just got to work and I was teaching at the time. So it was within like a couple hours from the time I dropped him off and got to work. So it was about a two hour time period. And so of course, as a parent, I'm like, oh my God, where's my son? (laughs) You know? So I, you know, left work and, you know, the whole time I'm calling home and, you know, there's no answer. I'm calling my mom. Nobody's heard from him. So now I'm just a little freaked out. So long story short, I get home and my son is sitting in the living room. He's just sitting there by himself. And so I walked in and I said, what in the world are you doing home? And he was like really terrified. And he's like, I can't go to school, mom. He said, because, you know, this uh, this guy's mom is going to beat me up. And I said, wait a minute. Hold on. I said, what? He said, this kid at his school's mom was going to beat him up. And I said, what are you talking about? And he told me and he never told me this the night before. But I guess the night before when he was walking home from school, it was him and his friend that lived in an apartment complex with us. Apparently, this kid that's been picking on my son at school was in the car with his mom, and the mom was chasing, in the car, was chasing after my son, and my son was so scared, he ran into some random person's uh, doorstep, knocked on the door, told him what was happening, he's being chased by this parent, and so some stranger ended up taking my son home. And I was like, wait, what? I said, why didn't you tell me this last night? And he said that he was scared because rightfully so, you know, this parent is, you know, following him and, you know, trying to get him beat up. So immediately I called the school, set up something. I said, hey, we need to address this right now. We get in there and uh, I want to say it was the same day, but later on in that afternoon, because I know they had to get back to me and get a hold of all the parties involved. So this time I'm asking my son, like, well, what's going on? Who are these kids? Um, And it was two boys and a girl. And so I was like, okay, well, why are they trying to pick on you? And he said, because I don't like this girl. And I said, so what does that have to do with the guys? He's like, I don't know. He goes, but because I don't like this girl, they started picking on me. So long story short, they finally get back to me. So we all go to the school and we're in this big, huge, you know, conference room. 
And at that time, and I don't know if they still do it in the schools, because I've been out of the school system for a while, but we had what was called the D.A.R.E. team, which was they had a police officer on campus. And, you know, they, they were the ones who looked out for bullying and, you know, things, drugs and alcohol and things like that. So anyway, so the D.A.R.E. officer was present. The principal was present. Myself, my son, two girls, the two boys and the parents of them. And then my son's best friend and his mom that, you know, was there that witnessed everything. The loophole in this whole thing is we're sitting here and we're going around. We're trying to figure out, you know, why this started and what happened. And so we started with the girl and this girl admitted and they're all in the same grade, fifth grade. She admitted that she had asked the two boys to beat up my son because she because he didn't like her friend. And so when we got to my son and we were talking to him about it, my son was like, I don't even know her. And I said, we're like, what do you mean? You don't know who? He's like, I don't know her. And he was pointing at the girl who asked the boys to have him beat up. So all of us were in shock. Like, what do you mean you guys don't know each other? So we asked the girl, like, do you know him? And she said, no. She said, so the long story short was her friend liked my son. But I guess, you know, he sent somebody sent a note to him. Hey, do you like so-and-so, whatever the girl's name was? And he wrote back, no, I don't. And so because the girl was, you know, crushed, but he didn't like her, she told her best friend, which was that girl. And so her girl was sticking up for her best friend and went and got those two guys to beat my son up. The boy, Daniel, uh, that with the mom that chased him home, we asked the mom, well, how did you get involved? And she said, well, my son told me that this, you know, that he had to get this kid. And so I drove him. So we were all looking at this parent like you're a grown adult. And you are enabling your son and promoting bullying and chasing and terrorizing a kid. And so the D.A.R.E. officer, obviously, at that time was like, you know, you could be looking at like some serious charges here, you know, kind of, you know, threw it at her. And then she tried to turn around. Well, I'm in school for probation. You know, I was just, you know, doing, you know, my something with my son. So in other words, it's like there really was no excuse. She was literally enabling her son to do this. So what the D.A.R.E. officer did was obviously he suspended the three parties that were involved. But what he did, what I liked was he said when they came back from their their um, suspension, he wanted to do something different, which was making the three boys sit together at lunch every single day. And he said by doing that, he said at the end of this week, they're either going to like each other or they're going to hate each other. And then, you know, we'll deal with it at the end of the time. Well, funny enough, you know. The two out of the three boys bonded because they found out they were on the same baseball league. And so they were not on the same team, but they were in the same league. And so those two bonded. And because those two bonded, the other one with the mom who had chased him kind of ciphered himself out. They didn't not get along anymore, but they weren't friends. And then my son and this other kid became really close and he started sticking up for him you know, if that kid ever came around, but it never happened. But I really liked his approach because it did make sense. You know, if you seclude them and, you know, obviously they're under observation, but they put them together. And like you said, for a week, they didn't have anything to do. They could either sit there for 30 minutes and stare at each other and eat lunch, you know, or talk and find something, you know, that they can bond over. And I like that. So from that, when I went into teaching and became a principal, I started implementing that because I really liked the structure of it and it worked. Um, and I had several kids that we did that with where I would put them together and I know some of the other kids would come over and I'm like, no, I'm like, you know, you need to stay away. You know, it's this is their table right now. 
And it really worked. They either became friends. I don't think I ever had a situation where they didn't, not necessarily like friends, like besties or anything like that, but they were cordial enough to where they respected each other on the playground. And so I really liked what they did, but they addressed it right away. Whereas now I've seen even not being in the school system, but working with the school system as a therapist and having to intervene a lot, I see that things tend to sort of get pushed under the rug. Like they'll address it, but funny enough, it's not taken care of and taken as seriously. And I'm not saying this for every single school, so I don't want to get, you know, (laughs) I don't want to get shame for, you know, saying that every school handles it differently. But um, I can say I had a previous patient who recently over the last year had wrote a note to his friend. He was being bullied at school passed a note to his friend saying, you know what? I can't take this anymore. You know, I wish I could just kill them all. And so, of course, when he wrote that out of frustration, the friend turned that note in. Well, the dad was called because, you know, he was explaining his situation. The principal of the school decided, because the whole school got shut down, that whole district got shut down that day for the threat. So they did what they were supposed to do in shutting the school down. But what happened in the interim of everything in meeting, the principal pushed it aside and said, we're going to make this disappear. Well, thank God for dad that he wasn't comfortable with that and came to us. I was like, you know, we need help because my son didn't mean it. But at the same time, the way the school handled it, I, you know, I'm not okay with it, even though it was on their side. He still knew enough that that wasn't right, that they just swept it under the rug. So in investigating in this a little bit further, we found out that the ones who are being bullied it's going in their chart. Hey, kids being bullied, you know, John Doe's being bullied, you know, on this day, this is what happened. But the ones who are bullying them, it's not going in their chart. So when a school gets, you know, unfortunately something happens to that level, you can go to the the ones who are being bullied and see they're being bullied, but where's the paper trail that the bulliers are the ones doing it? And then they wonder why this kid goes psycho and, but nothing's happening to the bulliers to that extent. So that was kind of an eye opening for me. And this was just recently over the last year that I was like, are you kidding me? I'm hands down as a principal, my tolerance for bullying was zero. And I feel like how we can, you know, effectively, you know, attack this and, you know, help out is, I mean, there's a lot more resources that are available now than there were back then. We have the D.A.R.E. officer obviously on campus, but now you've got nonprofit organizations like one of them, Boo to Bullying. They're really good about getting people to come out to different schools and be speakers and, you know, teach about, you know, anti-bullying and how to communicate, you know, your feelings, you know, and how to do things like that. So definitely open communication with your child, you know, uh, talking about it. And so making that child feel that he's safe enough to go to somebody and let them know what's going on. Bullying has always existed. It's just now the severity of it is just being more dramatic. I joined my local United Way and I started up their anti-bullying committee. Good for you. So we just got that kicked off and we did a big seminar. I want to go back to um, putting kids, putting the bully and the, and the target in a room together. We've had guests on a podcast where parents say, that's not what I want my child to go through. Why should they be in the same room with that bully? It was more negative than positive. They didn't, it didn't work. Do you know how schools are doing it now when they're trying to get the 
the target and the bully together in a room. Well, and again, it kind of goes back to how you tailor it as well, too. And again, we're dealing with a different generation, whereas, you know, my generation, you know, coming from where we're at, we're all for positive, whatever. Like, I want to meet the parents. You know, I'm not mad at them, but I want to understand, like, you know, what's going on. And obviously, like I said, we sat down and it turned out like my son didn't even know the girl who was trying to get him beat up. But in talking about it, you know, and all the parents being able to communicate productively, it was a positive outcome. Whereas, like I said, now we're a different generation where, you know, this generation is all about like, I want my voice heard. Most of the time in my experience, again, this is all from my experience that I've been dealing with. It's usually the parents who are, who don't want that to happen. And the kid might be to that point where they're scared. You know, it just, every situation is different. Um, I don't know how they're addressing it in the schools, but I know like the ones that I've been working with, I, the parents will always want to talk to the other parent. That's the missing piece, I think, that we're seeing right now is the school has a policy where the parent can't talk to the other parent. Yeah. So they're left in the dark. And I'm guessing if you want to try to make this work where the bully and the target sit together, we're missing that one part. The parents are getting together first because that's what happened first, right? Parents got together first. Then the bully and the target sat down together Correct. and they had to deal with that. And it's kind of a catch-22, to be honest, Tim, because even my grandson, he's five years old, and this just happened, um, I want to say, like a month ago. My daughter called me and she was really upset because I guess my grandson, you know, in kindergarten got bullied and he was circled up and he came home with bruises on him because they were kicking him and hitting him and things like that on the playground. And so my grandson said he went and told, but apparently the, the on-duty teacher at the time or whatever told him, oh, well, you need to go address that with your own teacher because, you know, that wasn't his teacher, which... You know, of course, my daughter and I were upset. And so my first instinct was like, well, you know, we need to call the school and address this and talk to the teacher and find out. You know, my thing is like, I always want to investigate. And I think that's where it needs to start. We have the principal, whoever's in charge, if it's a teacher, a principal, whoever needs to fully investigate before you go and act on it. You know, so that way we know. I mean, because it could have been, you know, my grandson just saying that and he started it. But the outcome um, when I talked to her, was the same thing like what you said. They they wouldn't disclose what the outcome was to my daughter, but they let her know, well, we handled it, but we can't disclose what was said or what was done, which I disagree with because I would want to know. You know, I want to know yeah. what the repercussions were of that. And I think that now what they're doing is like, oh, well, let's just isolate everybody away from each other. Well, that doesn't necessarily work. You know, because you got to get to the root of what's happening. You have to find out why this happened and, you know, prevent it from happening again. And just by saying, oh, you stay in your corner and you stay in your corner and we can't tell you parent one and parent two what was happening. It, it's just not effective. And I, there's just a lack of communication. When your grandson goes to the, to the recess aid, that's where the investigation needs to start. That right. aid should have said, okay, show me the kid. Correct. That resource aid should have got spoke to because- yep. It's kind of hard to investigate something maybe a week or so later, right. and especially with five-year-old kids, they're going to forget. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, five-year-olds, like one minute they were like mortal, mortal enemies, the next minute they're BFF. So it's like, you know, but you don't know that until you fully investigate it. And so all that happened as a result was his primary teacher 
told my daughter, oh, well, I'll go out on the playground with them and, you know, watch over, which she did. But at the same time, watching over, of course, these kids that are picking on my grandson aren't going to do anything when you actively know somebody's watching you. But she's not going to stand out there and give up her lunch break forever. You know, so at some point she's going to go back to, you know, having her lunch. And then what happens? And so luckily, you know, I, I don't know. And unfortunately, we don't know what the result was of all of it. But he's been OK and they've, they've been leaving him alone. But again, like what message did they get from it? Like we don't even know was it, you know, what was addressed in there. So for me as a parent growing up in this day and age is completely scary for me because, you know, we have no control. And I feel like as time went on and the generations evolved, less and less control was or more control was taken away from the parent and put into the hands of the kids and us not knowing is not doesn't go with me like I want to know like I don't care what the result is you know as far as like you know you slapped him on the hand and you know not physically but you know give him that you know hey don't do it again but I want to know like what did you do to prevent this from happening again and when a principal comes to me and tells me like oh we can't disclose that with you I'm not okay with that is there a law that says they can't do that? Or is that something yeah. that the district just makes up? There's a law. No, I, I mean, I don't, let me take that back because I don't know because I'm not in the system, yeah. but I do know, I don't know if it's per school system and I don't know if it's per law per se. Or was it at your time, at your time, was it a law, was there a law? No, you can't there wasn't disclose? anything like that back when I was doing it. I think it's evolved. Like even when my girls were going to my, my youngest is 26 and my oldest, my son, um, he's 38 now. So even when my girls were in school, we didn't have that. Like we, if there was a situation, we always sat down, you know, with the parents and, you know, got involved with it. Um, and somewhere along the way between the millennials to the Gen Z's where we're at now and the Gen Alphas, communication has just been, you know, lost, you know, from parents, you know, communicating with each other and being able to communicate. Do you think the school is more worried about protecting themselves and the student? I've heard there's this new term called conflict. It's not bullying anymore. It's a conflict. It, again, it depends on the school. It depends on the school district. If it depends on, you know, who's running the school and things like that. But I have heard that is more of conflict because they don't, because bullying is such a negative term now. And so they don't like to call it bullying anymore. So now it's conflict and everything's conflict resolution, you know, based or whatever. So it doesn't matter whatever word you want to give it. It's still a physical, emotional uh, mental act of abuse, you know, that's bestowed upon somebody, you know, against their own will. So call it what you want. But at the end of the day, I mean, this is your school, you know, just like if it was my own business, and I need to protect my employees, I need to protect my students to the best of my ability. You know, you can't prevent everything from happening, like you could do the best you can. And in the end, if it still happens, then you have to go to a more of extreme resource. But at the same time, I'm not about reputation. I'm, my reputation is to protect my kids, you know, students, whoever, you know, I'm in charge of versus that. So, I mean, I, I don't know the exact answer to that because, again, it depends on the schools and the imaging kind of a thing. But I do, I can say that a lot of people are more about the image and about damaging an image. And I can speak from recent experience that I know teachers who have stuck up for a parent who was in the wrong versus their employee that was a teacher out of imaging and out of losing business or out of losing kids. 
And I don't agree with that. And I'll be the first one to say something to that person. Like, that's not right. You should have protected your staff. Back when you were teaching or even as a principal, how much training did the teachers get on how to recognize bullying and how to handle bullying? Uh, during my time, none. <laughs> there was none. We would do, um, what I would do is we would have different uh, staff days at that time. I had the protectiveness of, you know, making sure at the beginning of the school year when I have the staff meetings and stuff like, hey, let's go over things, you know, that we don't want to do. Um, and to this day, even with the business, I own a performing arts academy, so I work with children. And I'm very big with my staff, like never be alone with a child in a room. Never give a parent or a student a reason to, you know, point fingers at you for something and don't ever put yourself in that position. And so even with my performing arts academy, I installed cameras in there because, you know, I want to make sure that, you know, when if something like that did occur, we can go back and at least look at the footage and say, hey, this is, you know, what really happened or this is not what really happened. But I always have that talk every, every class time, every semester with my staff to this day on the things to not do. And if you think that it's going to make you look bad, don't do it. You know, even as yeah. far as hugging a child now, whereas some people, you know, we're natural, you know, we want to love on the kids. But now, even then, that can be taken the wrong way. So I tell everybody, just give them a high five, you know, or give them knuckles, you know, or something like that. So it just doesn't give that perception and leave room for somebody to take it the wrong way. And the next thing you know, you know, you've got something bigger on your hands. When you were a principal, what was the steps that the teacher had to take? when they found out one their students were being bullied, how did that get handled under your guidance? They came to me. So, I mean, I, I did witness or have that experience a lot, you know, over my years. So right away they would come to me. And then what I would do was I would call the parent. So what I did was when I found that out, I brought both of the kids into my office and I would talk to them because, you know, at that time people feared the principal. So, you know, there was no, there was no, you know, whatever, where now kids just don't care. But for me, it was a, a completely different era in time. So when the kids came, you know, they're already like, oh, no, I'm in trouble. I'm going to the principal's office. And I would have a conversation with them, just like I was, you know, would be doing with you right now. It's like, hey, you know, I understand there was something that went on. Why don't you guys, you know, one at a time, tell me what happened. And they would, you know, they would say, you know, one person would tell their side, the other one would tell their side. And then we'd resolve it. And I would call the parents and let them know. I mean, I never, it always stopped at that point. Honestly, can't even think of a time where it escalated after that because it was controlled. But we always had to write an incident report, you know, so that we had the paper trail in it. And I would always call the parents, both parents, and let them know, hey, just wanted to give you a heads up. This is what happened today. When you come to pick up your child, you know, let's have a talk real quick. And I would bring them together. So it was a lot of communication, but it got resolved right then and there where nothing ever escalated after that. And I really, thinking back in all those years, I never had the problems that we did today. And I'm not saying it was because of me or, you know, whatever, but there definitely was more communication involved and there definitely was more unity as far as working together to resolve a problem, you know, versus now. How much time did that take you to do to meet with both kids and call the parents? Honestly, I would say maybe 30 minutes with the kids and maybe like another 30 minutes, you know, with the parents, you know, after school, worst case scenario, like an hour. It was never like longer than a day or even half a day. It was literally about 30 minutes 
each time for both of them and it was squashed. Like we just, we didn't have it again. How big was your school? A full school of elementary kids from like maybe like 500 students, 200 students at the time. Well, definitely the class sizes back then were about 32 kids per class. So I think that was like the biggest amount they were allowed to have with the teacher's aid at the time. So you got to figure like however many grades there were. And at that time we went to sixth grade. So 32 kids and there was like at least a couple classrooms per grade. So it's 500 kids. Was that K through six? Yes. Oh, pre-K. Pre-K through six. Okay. Because my theory is the reason why it's not happening as of now is schools are just overpopulated. Oh, yeah. There's not enough staff. Their principal probably doesn't have 30 minutes a day to do that or an hour a day, 60 minutes total. So my thought is, why can't they hire a part-time person to do that? Or can they make a janitor or somebody that students like? Because in schools, everybody had a favorite somebody. Absolutely. I've always, I've always had the favorite janitor in high school. His name was Claire. Everybody had a favorite staff person. Pay that person extra money to handle it. Right now in my town, we're trying to pass this big referendum. And a lot of it's going to sports, improve the schools as well, too. It's not just all going to sports. But it's like, how about pay the teachers more or get more staff to combat the issues that are killing kids? Because we have kids in our area that, that, that commit suicide because of bullying. Yep. What's your thought? I guess, what's your thought on today's school systems and how we can possibly resolve this or get it back to back in the old days? Yeah, no, you hit the nail on the head with that. The staff now doesn't have that 30 minutes or that hour in their day because definitely the job titles and job descriptions have changed over time to where a counselor would be the one to deal with these type of issues normally, but a counselor can't even deal with, you know, their workload and handle, you know, a a problem that comes where now The good thing about it is now they are seeing effects of not having a person there. So now, at least out here anyway, they are bringing school psychologists in. They are bringing in, um, even pre-COVID, I worked with a nonprofit organization where they were bringing life coaches in, where it was just somebody like, you know, a big brother or big sister, you know, to come in and just say, hey, and they would, you know, find the ones that uh, would have issues or whatever and send them to have somebody to talk to you as an outlet. So they weren't a therapist, but they were considered a life coach. And then obviously when COVID happened, everything just kind of stopped. And so trying to get, we're just now starting to be able to hire on more people. And I don't know what happened for like a good minute there. Nobody wanted to work. So I was like, what happened? Did somebody, did everybody win the lottery during COVID that I missed? Like, why is there nobody wanting to work? And so now here, anyway, we do have school psychologists. A lot of my students or my clients that I work with that are teenagers, have somebody they can go to. They have a school uh, psychologist. There's another school that I know I've worked with where they have what's called the timeout room or or the Zen room or something where it's this big room and it's got, they made it comfortable and like kind of Zenful and peaceful, whatever. And they tell the kids like, hey, if you need it, you know, sign up and you get like a 30 minute window to just kind of go in there and chillax because sometimes these kids need a mental break. And I like that they do that, you know, because sometimes they do need that mental break. So schools are now starting to implement some resources that kind of got lost along the way from my time to this time. Like I can attest, like one of my my clients have recently told me that she has an English teacher that's kind of like her at-school therapist because sometimes they don't like the therapist they see at school. 
but they find that teacher. And I know for me growing up, when I was going through my trying times in high school, I had that teacher, which was my science teacher. And so it was like that, that motherly figure, that therapist on campus thing. But where, what you were talking about, as far as like bringing, you know, why can't we have the gender? Why can we do this? A lot of people now are so, so happy that like, you know, if my kid comes home and tells me, oh, well, I did that because the janitor told me to. Now all of a sudden they're suing the janitor, they're suing the school, you know, so this it, a lot of it comes back to not being able to, you know, to say the right things and not have that fear of you're going to get sued for saying it. And I have that all the time, even with Sean Kanan and I were talking about that, like we have to be careful when we do our shows, you know, not to say the wrong thing because somebody's going to come back and like target us, you know, and like shame us and bully us and, you know, um, or, you know, sue us for something, you know, and we've all seen it on, on TV. Like what, (laughs) you know, Dr. Phil, you know, he's gone through his fair share of stuff. So you just, it's so sad that we just have to watch what we say and how we say it. Whereas why can't we just speak how we feel and, you know, not be so sensitive about it and communicate why I feel the way we do? Because like I tell my patients, like your feelings are the one things that are validated you know, so express your feelings, you know, and talk about get to the root of why you're feeling that way. But communication is so hard nowadays. And that's what's happening. But you hit the nail on the head, like there's they have so much more stuff put on them. um, in their roles as a teacher as a principal where before, as a teacher, I went to school, taught my class, went home, done, you know, graded some homework at night, went back, did it the next day. Now these teachers have more pressure on them to do more things. But at the same time, if there was a, a situation on the playground, the teachers are physically not allowed to even break it up, which blew me away because I was like, are you kidding me? So what are you supposed to do? Just stand there and let them go at it. And then exactly. <laughs> so, but that's what's happening now too. They can't physically do anything. They can't break up a fight. And I know a lot of colleagues that I had from the past who've gotten fired because they tried to break up a fight. And it's like, are you kidding me? So I don't understand the theories on a lot of this stuff. So um, do they just call the cops and let the yeah, cops show they up? They call the police. They call that the could take five, yeah. 10 minutes. Well, uh, maybe in your town, <laughs> like out <laughs> here in a bigger city, that's a lot longer than five minutes. But usually they have the on-campus security. I forgot what they're called now, but they do have the on-campus security that are able to come break that up. I guess they don't want somebody who's not in that position or has that title to get involved in it because of the fact that I don't know if there's special training they're supposed to go through or whatever, but our schools hire law enforcement to patrol the schools. We actually got rid of it. And then beginning of the year, our school had this huge fight. It went viral. And then after that fight happened, like, Oh, we need to bring the law enforcement back into our schools again, but okay, let's start letting the law enforcement officers handle it. But then again, what I'm hearing now is, well, it's not bullying, it's a conflict, so it doesn't require, yeah, you know, any intervention, which I, I'm so confused on this whole thing. I don't get it. Right. So the best that I do right now is like, well, I'm going to work with kids and teach them about confidence. Yeah, no, I hands down agree. And that's the same thing I do is, you know, I just help empower the kids, you know, give them a plan, a safety plan, you know, create, help create a safety, a safety net for them and make sure that they are telling somebody and not keeping it in. But then again, it's like I said, it just, it goes back to, this has been going on for years. You know, it's, it's, it's just the evolution of where it's become and the resources that they have, which we do have the resources here, but for whatever reason, 
from the time somebody comes in and gives this great speech about anti-bullying to, you know, they get out and start bullying again, like something went wrong. But again, and I say this too, from a parent standpoint, a lot of things that have happened over the years is they took the power away from the parents and gave it to the hands of the children. So what child now is afraid of their parent? They're not because they've got all the power. What child is afraid of their teacher? What child is afraid of their principal? They're not because they know they're powerless. What are they going to do? What power do kids have that, that their parents don't? So for example, whereas like, you know, when my kids were growing up, if they did something, they got, you know, sometimes they got a spanking, not like I didn't beat them or oh, yeah. they would get a yeah. spanking. We can't do that anymore. Um, funny enough, uh, you can't take away a child's cell phone anymore, at least out here. I actually had, what? yes, I actually had a patient no. whose kid called the police because the parent took away the cell phone, um, because they got in trouble for something and the police came out and made that parent give the cell phone back and said, that's their form of communication. You cannot take that privilege away from them. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. And so for myself, you know, cause I work a lot with law enforcement and I'll ask them like, Hey, you know, is this like a law now? Like is whatever. And uh, different police officers have told me, you know, that I guess it depends on who the police officer is and, you know, at the time and what the situation is. But if it's something that's preventing them from getting help or it's something that's preventing to like, if they're in an abusive situation and that parent takes that phone away and says, no, you're not calling the police. And that's considered, you know, the parents in trouble for that. So I don't know. I it, it's just all confusing because I, for me, what I personally, and this is just my personal opinion. I think everybody tailors the situation to whatever, you know, is happening at the time and who the person is and what their beliefs are, too, or what the image yeah. is at that time, because there's no situations out here that are the same and get the same results. So it's just crazy, but the kids definitely have more power because I mean, it might, it started even when my kids were younger, when I was like, you know what, you know, you're in trouble, you know, or I'll like, you know, throw something at them because it made me mad. And then I remember my daughter one time, she was like, you can't do that to me. I'm going to call the police. I said, well, then you know what, then we're both going to jail. I said, because you know, <laughs> I said, you were both leaving in an ambulance, you know, <laughs> but it was those things that we used to be able to say to our kids. And now it's like, oh, you can't even say that. <laughs> well, I guess the workaround with the phone issue is stop paying your kid's phone bill or just shut the line right. off. Because if that phone does not have any phone service, it still has 911 service at all times. Yeah. So I guess that's what we have yeah. to do. Kim, if you were principal today or you had the powers today to change how bullying is handled in schools, what would that look like? It would look like what I did back in the early 90s or late 90s and early 2000s is communication. I'd bring the kids together. Let's resolve it. Let's bring the parents in. Let's resolve it and, you know, not keep things from them and educate them and put more money into my teachers and have those resources available and give the powers back to, you know, the ones who are out there with the students that see this stuff. Definitely not give the power to the kids, yeah. but more effective communication with everybody. And do you have any advice for teachers or principals right now who may not know what to do or how to handle their current bullying situation? Go back to the basics. 
<laughs> communication is everything. Uh, you know, getting to the, the bottom of everything. I know everybody has these fears, but if you handle it the right way and you communicate and you're open and you're active listening and just getting to the problem, it's really more effective than just, you know, trying to deal with it and separating everybody and thinking it's going to go away. It's not, you know, if you, you don't have, if you're not at the root of the issue, it's like a tree. Here's the root. Here's this. And then the stems and the leaves, each of the leaves are just a little situation. And then at the branch, but if you don't get to the root of why this is happening, it's going to keep happening. So you have to find the root, not just tackle the situation. You know, maybe somebody took the lunch money today. Well, why did they take the lunch money? You know, they didn't have any money. Well, why didn't you have any money? Mom didn't give me. Okay. And then you now you've got the root to this kid is angry. He came to school, you know, whatever. Get to the root of the situation by communicating. And there's no harm in communicating. Dr. Kim, thank you so much for being on our podcast. If people want to find you, how can they do that? It's literally my first name, last name.com. So KimberlyBoynton.com. And if you guys notice it, I mean, I don't know, I'm sure you're going to put a link or something in there, but my name, Kimberly, is definitely spelled differently. It's just K-Y-M-B-E-R-L-I. It's literally the I and the Y reversed, but it's my first name, last name.com. Awesome. And what about your show? When's that come out? Or do you guys have a date? Yeah, well, we're everything kind of got pushed back with the SAG strike because obviously, you know, Sean Kanan being SAG, uh, we were supposed, we're in pre-production of it, but we're hoping that the SAG strike ends, you know, sometime with this, within this year. And obviously, you know, him as Mike Barnes, so he's got to go shoot the last season of Cobra Kai. So we're hoping that it all can get done and launched by the end of next year. And what's the name of that show? Keeping It Real with Kim. I love it. Thank you, Kim, for coming on today. <laughs> well, thank you for having me, Tim. It was a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. And as for us, you can always find us at our very own website, which is www.breakingbullying.com. You can also reach out to us at our email address if you have a story of your own bullying to share or for whatever reason you want to get a hold of us. Our email address is breakbullyinghere at gmail.com. Now, if you are a victim of bullying and you don't know where to turn, there are online resources to help you. The first is the government's very own anti-bullying website, and the address is www.stopbullying.gov. Another online resource is www.pacer.org backslash bullying. Now, if you've had thoughts of suicide or of self-harm, we implore you, stop. Reach out to the National Suicide Hotline. That number is very simple. It's 988. I'm the missing Bruce Naxon. For Tim Flynn, thank you for listening. And we'll be back next week to continue the conversation to break the silence on bullying.